podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello, so welcome to one of our summer specials, a set of podcasts recorded in the summer break prior to the 2021-22 season. These podcasts delve deep and deep dive into an individual subject that influences FPL, the idea being to give you listeners a new perspective on the game you'll know and love, and maybe, just maybe, help you with your management for either the upcoming season or whenever you're listening to this, whatever time in the future you're in. They may be a tad longer than our usual fare, but aided and abetted by some brilliant guests, we're hoping they'll be fascinating and rewarding to listen to if you do choose to put us in your ears. We've recorded podcasts on behavioural science, analytics and fandom and FPL for this mini-series. So this is the third summer special uh, after last week's fandom and FPL and the first one on behavioural science that we kicked off with. But this one kind of rounds off the series, the return of the Jedi uh, of the summer specials and it's FPL and data slash analytics. And I thought, you know what? I'm going straight to the source on this. I'm getting in two wily old rascals of the fantasy football scene and certainly two cornerstones of the off-contrarian world of FPL Twitter. That is the two guys from the Corridor of Uncertainty podcast and inveterate flag bearers for Analytics FC, as I've dubbed them, and I'm sure they've realised I've dubbed them. Yes, it's uh, two very, very good guests this week uh, to talk about this uh, most fraught at times of uh, topics. First up, it's uh, Jamie, we rogue, who I'm convinced spends most of his time just as a line of code somewhere. He's manifested himself uh, physically today, but no, really nice to have you on, Jamie. <laughs> Thank you, Tom. Yeah, no, I've uh, adopted my physical form for the the podcast tonight. I thought it was only fitting. Um, but yeah, no, real pleasure to be here. Absolutely stoked. Awesome. And uh, the Dark Lord of Analytics himself it is uh, Simon, otherwise known as Analytic underscore FPL, uh, the man who can write a tweet and just send FPL Twitter up in flames uh, with people saying, you don't know what you're talking about, mate, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Simon, how are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing well. I rarely do that on purpose either. It's it's normally a sincere opinion I have that everyone just hates, but it's fine. <laughs> well, there's Taylor Swift playing in your head quite often. <sighs> <laughs> yeah, th- thanks so much, uh, Jamie and Simon, for joining us today. You'll find the Uncertainty Pod's Twitter account at uncertainty underscore pod. Uh, it's really great to have you both on, guys. So yeah, as Tom has mentioned, this pod is the third installment of our summer special podcast. Moving away from the subjectivity and selectivity inherent to the human mind touched upon during the previous two and instead we're in search of a cold objective truth with a capital t if such a thing even exists yes this episode focuses on the junction between football fpl and statistics how do we use stats what sort of modeling are some managers using to drive their decisions should data be the be all and end all or is there a happy medium for mixing stats and choice for fpl loads to cover so let's get cracking Right. As a start point, I guess stats and FPL have assumed an ascendancy more than ever before. And part of the inspiration for starting WTA was a lack of data and assertions and analysis, to be honest. Like there was lots of commentary based on feelings about players or a hunch that drove discussion more often, in fact, than cold, hard data. And I like the fact that data is something which is, in the context of human history, perhaps actually a relatively new thing. Beforehand, as I mentioned, we had hunches, supposition magic and data gives us an objective source which stores information things the human eye can't capture to allow us to to at least research our choices in fpl context from an objective start point at least there's also lots of elements of data which um, we're not actually going to talk about too much so and we're not going to be debating the fabric of things like defining what expected data is here you can read that for yourself 
we're less interested in the what and we're more interested in the how and why here. And I guess one other thing just to throw in as well, variance, maybe we'll speak about it a tiny bit. And basically to me, that's a fancy word for how much random chance or dare I say it, luck impacts our outcomes. I think it probably will be one that it may come up, but you know, just to say if it doesn't come up, we will know that it exists. Uh, To start off with though, is data truly objective, Simon? I mean, this is more philosophy, isn't it, than FPL? Uh, Worth (laughs) the beginning, I think. To the extent that uh, it's like manually input by a, a human uh, that's collecting the data from from a football match, like no, um, it's it's not it's not like magical. Um, there is there is like some judgment there, but they have a lot of a computer vision now uh, and b like quality control systems that like the data should be a consistent representation of what's happened on the football pitch. So in that sense, I would say yes. How much that matters, I think, is um, really up for debate. What about big chances? Are we talking about them already? We, we're straight in, aren't we? Go for it, lads. Like, Because <laughs> there is questions about, you know, how objective is a big chance? Well, a big chance is very subjective without wanting to throw too much shade. I mean, like, it's, it's stats bomb or nothing, really, if you're using Opta data. In the Opta model, they don't capture things like the goalkeeper and the defender position. And so what they try to do is they try to manually add when they think a chance was a big chance which is something which has has scored roughly around 40 percent of the time mm-hmm. they'll use that in the xg models so it's, it's a common misconception that a big chance is something over a certain xg value it's the other way around it's a flag which the data collector adds which then goes into the xg value okay is that like a visual thing is it just because i think opt to do this sort of manual input isn't it so is that viewers literally seen something and gone, oh that's a big chance or is there some sort of metric behind how that is implemented that's fascinating if so yeah no it, it's it's just the data collector doing it so the issue really with it is you get hindsight bias so data collectors are more likely to flag th- things which went in as big chances than shots that didn't it would have had the same characteristics because humans have biases, which is one of the reasons that we love data in the first place. It also gives you quite a funny XG distribution. So if you look at like, I mean, it's a podcast, so I can't draw a graph, but there's basically two peaks. So you have like a peak of like low quality shots and you have a second peak where the big chances are instead of a smooth distribution. So stats bomb data, a different data provider, and you can find the data for free on fbref.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, what they do is they have a freeze frame of the defender and goalkeeper position and use that instead of a big chance flag. Okay. So they capture the data directly rather than using the manual um, proxy. Okay, interesting. So the data capture, for the most part, we trusting is objective. There's still the element of the researcher, isn't there? So in Babel Science Pod, for example, we went over the researcher bias, which is where you bring your own slant data interpretation. So even if data is objective, the research themselves oftentimes is not. And if you see that on FPL Twitter all the time, people are trying to prove a point, trying to pass off their own opinion as advice. You know, clustering illusion might be another one here that may come back to you later on uh, when people you know look at four to six weeks of worth of data and say, no, there's patterns here. There's a trend. No, it's not. It's just a cluster and it's an illusion. Uh, Jamie, what do you think about all of this? Data capture is one thing, but usage of data and modeling data, like I know that you're on the on your podcast, you talked about you know, modeling your multi-world universe and uh, some wondrous things like that. Like, How do you use data to inform your FPL decision-making? I think data is a really hazardous, like, thing to try and start using uh, to be honest I think it is um, very easy to misuse and even people that are good at it definitely bring their own biases um, to it all the time and like 
you know, a, a big finding from all the sort of Daniel Kahneman um, thinking fast and stuff is that even just awareness of the these biases, like you, you talked about the researcher bias or the clustering bias, those are two ones that um, come up a lot, like are really relevant for us. It doesn't mean that you don't fall prey to them. Uh, and I do. And uh, Simon, I'm sure you, you do. I mean, I'm sure we, I'm sure we could say that we, we could all see instances where we, we still do fall prey to those. So I try to stay humble about it and approach it with like due caution and trepidation when I am using um, data because you can easily be led astray by like yourself or your subconscious self or what it is that you want to believe or some guy that you don't like that you want to shoot down on Twitter and like go and find the exact subsample of data that that does that perfectly even though if you looked at a couple of games more or a couple of games less then uh, it doesn't actually support your point at all so yeah I don't think it's easy and I I understand if um, people might choose not to do it or might choose to be skeptical about it for those reasons because it, it gets misused a lot. Yeah, it's actually quite interesting maybe to bring two more biases that we discussed um, on that behavioral science pod into the conversation and maybe a little bit more applicable to FPL strategy in and of itself than just, you know, that intersection so far, I guess, that we've discussed, which is just statistics and football. And they'd be, you know, people having a plan continuation bias that, you know, people decide on a plan or a transfer or whatever it might be, and they'll stick with it and they'll continue to find reasons to stick with that plan no matter what. And that maybe ties in with one we touched on, which was called the Semmelweis reflex. And that's that tendency to reject new information, not conforming with a point of view. And I guess those would be two kind of classic uh, reactions, I guess, to an FPL plan not quite going right. And, And I find it quite interesting maybe to think about how you guys can bring data in to address those particular biases slash reflexes i think jamie raises a very good point that you can very easily lead yourself astray uh, and be more confident in in the fact that you in your conclusions even though they're not correct i think this is why i built a model essentially is because you're making all of your decisions up front around how to turn the data that you have into points before you're looking at a particular player And so you avoid those kind of plan continuations because you have like an objective list of numbers, objective in air quotes, but one that's generated on a consistent basis. And and you're not choosing like a six game sample for this player and a four game sample for this player and so on. Mm -hmm. Um, So so you do kind of get a consistent holistic look at everything you cared about before you saw what the numbers were. Do you know, actually, uh, Simon, when you mentioned your model, I'd actually, I'd love to know, and I think a lot of listeners would too, who might not necessarily be in on this, like, how do you actually go about modeling your data? What programs are involved? Does it take a huge amount of experience? Do you feel that some people who also do modeling overcomplicate modeling and that it could be a simpler process? Or is it something that is inherently complex and trying to find that mystical complex secret sauce is the way to go to succeed in FPL using a model? A model can range from very simple to very fancy. Uh, I'll do the shameless plug. Um, we, Jamie and I did spend a whole hour talking about how we built our models on episode two of the Corridor of Uncertainty Very enthralling, actually. But it was just so interesting to hear about the different thought processes. And as I said, Jamie's multi-world universe, one of those things that stuck in mind. I didn't understand it, but it sounded fascinating. <laughs> I built it in Excel because uh, I'm a Luddite. And I don't know how to program things. And a, a model could be as simple as um, 
getting a metric that you care about, let's say XG um, and expected assists, and you just go from midfielders uh, five times your XG, you get five points for a goal, and three times your expected assists, you get three points for an assist, and you use that as your points projection. That is, in essence, a model. Um, obviously, it's going to miss quite a lot of things about reality. And then you can kind of slowly tack them on bonus points, for example. Mm. So extra sort of um, bits and pieces, which could also kind of complement what you're going to. Okay, interesting. So yeah, a, a model is just treating all the data in a consistent way and using it to go from like these inputs to FPL points. That's all it is. And you can have like various ways of doing it, um, which range from the relatively simple to the ridiculously complex. And, right. and maybe whilst we're discussing skinning the cash, what data points are most important to both of you guys uh, individually or collectively in making those models? For me, see if it's the same as Simon, but I was thinking about this before the pod and um, I think you could probably make a pretty decent model with just like XG, XA and minutes and then like maybe some view of like team like defensive capability, you know, or, or like team strength probably I think is necessary. Um, those are probably the things that I think are, are uh, really important. I think it's really nice if you can have the, uh, have it as like a time series uh, in some way. So you have, you, you capture the increments of the, of the matches because then that allows you quite a lot of latitude um, in terms of how you want to treat those. Um, you know, a simple, way of incorporating new information is to if you do like a weighted average where the the newest information is worth a little bit more than the than some of the older stuff that kind of gives you this smoothly updating function um which uh, is a nice feature so like if you think about that time dimension as a data point almost that that's another thing that you would quite like to have is, is the time increments i think you could make a model with that this is assuming it's like a player level model so you, you want to have the player, his position, uh, his price, um, probably the team he plays for. And then those observations about um, their minutes and XG and stuff like that, I think you get by on that. Okay, I mean, that's interesting though, because I mean, given one would expect players to conform to their metrics, such as you know, their XG delta, only in the long run, um, can you, you know, justify using that sort of analysis when selecting players for a very short run? For example, you know, five games when the fixtures are favourite. And wouldn't you also agree that you know, 38 games is actually quite a small sample? How do you marry up sort of the short-termism of FPL with the fact that your models are going to include necessarily, and for obvious reasons, a very long kind of tail of data, some of it, which is kind of dead almost? It's a good question. I, I think I'd agree with Jamie on the metrics. Same things over here. I think if you wanted to do bonus as well, you probably want to add in a baseline bonus metric, a baseline BPS. But you can then build a pretty fancy model based off just that. To answer your question, yeah, 38 games is, is a pretty small sample. And I really like the analogy that Sigurd used once. He had a tweet and he was like, FPL is a game where you essentially have 15 weighted dice. You kind of roll them all and you get your score for each week. And what you're doing with the model is you're not going to like hit the model outputs every week. That's not going to happen. And it shouldn't. But what you're trying to do is you're trying to pick the dice which you think are like weighted towards you. Um, and then you hope that the, the mm. chips kind of fall your way. Yeah, putting yourself in a position to get lucky a lot of the time is what FPL is, to me at least. Yeah, no, that, I think that's right. And I just, I just thinking about your question, Tom, you know, I, I think there's a real tension between people that like use stats and primarily models wrestling with this desire, want, need to get a good sample size. 
and the fact that FPL is like this constantly fast moving thing and then there's like bandwagons picking up and then someone's injured who you pinning your whole team around and they like you know the, the landscape is changing so fast all the time but like for me I always want to have something that's um evidenceable you know like you can say I know why I'm uh, like applying this method and I know what amount of data I, I would like to have um you know to, to be able to do that and there is a real tension there between doing it and I I, I think model guys tend to be slower probably to react i suppose you could say they were more conservative in the way mm. that they react to new information i think there is a tension there because you kind of see these bandwagons like sailing off and everything looks great and you, you start like torturing <laughs> your numbers to make them tell you that it's okay to buy <laughs> <Yeah>. this guy <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely i mean yeah. what's the perfect time size then I know, like, in an ideal world, you'd have time to be able to, you know, watch and wait, monitor. I remember Jonathan Wilson saying something on the lines of you'd need 10,000 games per team to model out the perfect Premier League season. So, you know, with that limitation in mind that we probably won't reach that number unless um, television contracts really go mad and uh, immortal life is guaranteed. So what is that perfect time sample? I'm not I'm not sure it really crosses over from at a threshold from being like unacceptable to great. Um, mm -hmm. I think more is always better. Um, mm -hmm. I think anything under 450 minutes, I would completely ignore, uh, would mm -hmm. give like literally no weight to pretty much. Mm -hmm. um, anything under 900 minutes, I'd be very cautious about. But even then, like a thousand minutes is is going to have much more uncertainty in it than two and a half thousand when you're getting towards the back end of the season so what do you do ahead of game week one i'm gonna we're gonna get into bayesian kind of thinking here so you, you essentially <laughs> what you're doing is you're having to set some priors at the start of the season they can be based on the last season uh, maybe you've got new transfers so you have some assumptions around like how numbers are going to translate from league to league what happens when players move teams and so on this is uh, it yeah so this is like, the interesting thing mm -hmm. So then you, you kind of set your baselines for what you think is like a fair expectation at the start of the season. And then you're using the new information that's happening in the season to change those baselines over time. And how long do you think that those kind of, let's say, I'm going to call them unobjective numbers that you've built into your models or your evaluations of teams or whatever take to wash out? Like, does it take five weeks, eight weeks, 10 weeks, 15? Mine take about 20 Oh, jeez. Um, <laughs> so, so the whole first half of the season that Bruno Fernandes had in the Premier League. Yeah, I was going to say, that explains, that explains Bruno Fernandes in, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> well, I was going to say um, two years, pretty much, for me. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it depends what you're looking at. But, um, yeah, I did, like, there, there was um, FPL research, uh, a, a friend of mine who was doing some, trying to do some, like, evidenceable work on like how much more important is the most recent data point to the one before it? Mm. Um, he had a result which, uh, when I extrapolated it, it meant that the season before this is kind of worth about half as much as this one. That's the kind of rule of thumb I use. Okay. And the, and the one before is like about half as much as that. So, you know, those are like, if you're thinking of um, like a, getting a really solid baseline for a player, you know, that might be a kind of way to like make a weighted average. Like let's say you're coming into game week one. So you could take, let's say one part of three seasons ago, 
two parts of two seasons ago and four parts of last season that might give you like a decent rate for what that player might be in terms of like the the shape of it um right. but yeah i mean if you've got more data than that then you, you can use that too That's did, did you do anything on um age curves in that because that would be interesting because you'd expect over that kind of time like, like a, a be... vardy sort of character to this year eventually starts to depreciate or bamyang as well if you have the more data heavy heads were saying hang on a minute yeah. What are you doing giving him such a massive contract? Actually, you're going to see depreciation, not a, a, an Indian summer in this guy's uh, outcomes. I got into some arguments with some Arsenal fans on that one. <laughs> but no, I don't think there was age curve stuff in this. Um, so I think it would be too different for people at different stages of their careers to guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, age curves are something that um, has come up in some of Simon and I's, like, uh, you know, our little nerdy modeling groups <laughs> conversations recently, like something that we, we really do want to build in because that was one of the early results in analytics that was, you know, a really strong result that there's a strong age curve in terms of like production rates, likelihood to get minutes and all these kind of things that you can see happening with with players age. For example with Aubameyang, I saw a post that was like popular on Arsenal Twitter recently and it was like the gist of it was he just had a bad year and next year he'll bounce back but you know my kind of take was based on what we know about um age curves and stuff like that our prior belief should be that he's getting worse. And we should be surprised if it turns out that he actually is yeah. better next year, yeah. um, which yeah. I think is, is logical, but you can sort of fail to see the the, the kind of obvious facts. Yeah, ostrich that. effect, isn't it? That's really interesting. And obviously, you know, you've got different sorts of models. It's, I mean, how do you account for form in these models? I mean, what, what do you build in to make sure that you've got that captured? What is form apart from a mean? <laughs> <laughs> What is form? (laughs) Expand on the idea of it as a meme, please. (laughs) We we need just like a tumbleweed, you know, with a bit of uh, like lone banjo playing at the moment, Tom, on the the edit. I I, I agree. I think it's it's a very like, I mean, we're all friends with Kaza FPL and we know he's become the form guy. But equally, I think that it's definitely one of those things that is shorthand is a, a way of trying to convey that I haven't really looked at it, but I'm aware that he scored two goals in two games, but he's in form. It could be one of those things that helps build a narrative. It's a key building block. Like, you know, he hasn't scored for a while, but he's in form because he's taken other shots. What is it to you guys? Is it just an irrelevance? Is it a cultural construct? Is it a shorthand to try to sum up a few things? What is it? I'll start. So I remember going to one of the FPL meetups and I was not on my soberest. I think you were talking uh, to me in the smoking area, weren't you? And <laughs> saying, yeah, there's no such thing as form. There's none. It doesn't exist. I was just like, oh God, there's, there's another yeah. one. <laughs> I, 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 I did start about 10 conversations with that opening gambit. <laughs> it was a fun night. Um, <laughs> that's a, that's oh. an, inter- it's an interesting opening gambit. Not even, hello, how are you doing? What doesn't exist, mate? what can i say i've got no defense really um but i think to to kind of break it down i think there's a common conception of form which kind of relates to finishing essentially so it's this player has scored lots of goals recently and therefore they're going to continue to score lots of goals or same with assists A, a lot of that i think just demonstrably doesn't exist you can empirically test the hypothesis you can say okay well does overperformance over your metrics in some sample of games like 
predict that you're going to continue to overperform in the short run and then you basically see not really to state the quite obvious there's obviously variation in how well players play uh, on a game-to-game basis how much like form exists in that so like whether your underlying metrics are like in the short run are predictive of your underlying metrics uh like going forward yeah yeah that that i think is more interesting i don't i haven't tested it i don't know whether that form exists there i don't know if you've looked at anything there jamie I've not done any um, like studies myself. Um, there was one that was, okay, so you guys will have spoken about hot hand before um, on the pod, I imagine, which is yep. like the kind of seminal study into whether like form exists, looking at consecutive shots in basketball. And a kind of football-ish study like that, that was um, recreated by uh, an FPL Twitter account called FPL Hal. Um, like HAL 9000 from 2001 Space Odyssey. Yeah, yeah. And um, it was the, the premise was the same. It's like, look at people who have just um, done something good. Like, let's say it was returned, like had an attacking return. And then look at their returns immediately following that to see if they are better or worse than their average returns. And the outcome of the study was um, the same as the original Hot Hand study, which was, that they were like not better, possibly worse. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think from a modeler's point of view, like Simon said earlier, like that when we're talking about a model, you're kind of talking about this like uniform treatment of players on mass. You want to be able to apply the mm-hmm. same rules and conditions to everyone and, and see what that returns. And then you can know, okay, look, I've treated everyone the same in an objective way and this is how they stack up. You're not going to catch form by doing that, I don't think. Um, and it's kind of like evidenced why, why you're not. If you think you can catch players on form, I would suggest that it would be by things that are out with using a model. Um, okay. Primarily watching football, probably, and maybe reading some like mm-hmm. informed opinion, fan opinion, and stuff like that. Like, and I, I don't do really a lot of that stuff. So I'm not speaking from experience here as to how easy that is to do. You're not going to catch it, I don't think, by making a model. And that's, that's why us modelers are, are the, like objectively focused and stuff like that kind of like to say that it doesn't exist and stuff, which, you know, it, it might not. I mean, have you had any instances where you've had to ignore what the data is telling you just because it isn't correlating with the FPL points? Like where you've had to say, you know what, enough's enough. I've fallen prey to some cost fallacy here. You know, I've, I've uh, put so much effort into denying the fact that this player is returning points and they are returning points. I'm just going to have to buy them in, go with the vibes, as uh, Sigurd would say, and thinking, well, I'm buying this player despite the fact that he's dramatically performing according to the data, simply because the bandwagon's been rolling on for too long. Like, have there ever been any occasions where you guys have both folded or have you both been resolute uh, in being recalcitrant? I think this has been a theme of pods over the last year, hasn't it? Of, yeah. Uh, yeah. How, how we get burned by the players which start off with high returns and then their underlying data kind of like catches up with them, which is not what you'd expect. They're, they're the ones that really, uh, they really get you. The role of effective ownership in your decision making is, is yeah. kind of, I think, what you're alluding to here, really. I think I wouldn't transfer a player in just because they were getting returns if it was just like a try to get this points target game, but because you're playing against everyone else, sure. um, yeah. then you're changing the size of your bet. And so I kind of think like the larger the effective ownership of a player, then the bigger bet you're taking by not having them. 
uh, and therefore you need to be more confident in the fact that you're right and everyone else is wrong. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I will still make that bet. Like I never bought in Jesse Lingard last year. I took some pelters on Twitter. For... Yeah, he didn't take uh, Bruno the year before, uh, which is uh, yeah. also interesting. And, and Vardy the year before as well. Um, <laughs> I think some other ones, uh, if I was to go back, like I, I kept Bruno Fernandes. Uh, after, I got him in on my second wild card for a fixture run, but I kept him primarily because of effective ownership. His numbers were okay, um, but not spectacular mm-hmm. towards the end of the season. Yep. Um, so sometimes it's it's a it's not an easy question and it's um not one again that really can be answered by by a model what i'm basically getting at is like is there a number in eo terms that you feel that you have to diverge from your model that you kind of have to counter the analytics sv as tom would call it um herd mentality on the what the data says about a player because that x reality just hasn't come to pass like, like is, is there a point, like a specific point where you do that? Or I, of, of course, everything's going to be slightly different all the time. But is there a certain point where you just go, OK, saw it? I mean, it's not something that I've like modeled in itself. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's kind of done on, on a subjective level. I think it's, it's something that's quite hard to quantify how large that effect should be, which obviously mm-hmm. doesn't help you even when you're not modeling it. It's a question of like how catastrophic is it if it goes wrong and how marginal is my like... Mm. getting this player or not getting this player based based on the numbers sure. and then it's kind of just taking it taking a view on it yeah i don't have a number like but i would say that th- what this is making me think of is something which i sort of f- felt quite a lot last year which is that um once you start using numbers primarily in your decision making it's hard to balance that with the qualitative stuff it really is uh, and I've, I've struggled a lot with that like if you've got like uh, expected points numbers and you've everything's planned out and what you you know what's going to optimize your expected points over the next x number of weeks and then you know what your second choice would do and you know what your third choice would do and this high eo option is nowhere near any of those it's hard to say well okay when's the point where i'm going to like disregard that when am yeah. i going to say okay maybe this is real and you know maybe he has kind of like changed position there's been like a tactical mm. tweet and okay, I'm sort of like talking myself into this and stuff. That is something that's hard. Like once you start going down that road of using numbers and using evidence-based measures and like objective stuff, it's kind of hard to balance them. If you both think obviously that in a qualified way that form is kind of a bit of a construct, like I guess as a numerical individuals making kind of rational decisions, it kind of, to me, I know this sounds like a very sort of a philosophical point again, but it kind of cleaves away that emotional sort of side of things. I mean, do you guys not get moments in your life where you feel more confident than others? Like, why would that emotional influence not impact performance? Obviously, it's availability. As you've mentioned, Jamie, you don't see that hot hand actually manifest itself that often. And the fact that we remember players who do manifest hot hand really points to the fact that these are the exception rather than the rule. It's survivorship bias, isn't it? These are players who do get through and, you know, do the Michu, do the Vardy or so on and so forth. But, I mean, you do get players like Willock, like Lingard, like Bruno Fernandes, who do get denigrated um, by analytics FC, but do end up becoming players who do manage to keep it up. There's no way in hell this guy can keep scoring. And he did. 
uh, for, at least for a short period. So, I mean, would you think there is an emotional influence on this sort of thing? And is it because you're so rational that you kind of discount that or you, you don't believe that has an impact on anything? So, so I think it's clearly true that any player's psychological state on, on any given game day will impact their performance. Um, I don't think um, anyone would really argue with that. I think from an FPL point of view, what you're then trying to do is you're trying to predict their psychological state if you're trying to take it into your decision making. So the fact that Jesse Lingard scored a week ago, does that mean that he's going to actually feel confident in a week's time? He's going to have a whole week's worth of training. And in the meantime, loads of things have gone in his life that we have no visibility on. If it was predictive rather than just descriptive, then we, you'd see it show up in sure. the data. There's obviously huge emotional impacts to a player's performance, but I don't think we can predict with a high degree of accuracy what those emotions are going to be on, on the day. We've kind of focused on stats here, and what we've been focusing on is underlying data related to player performance and things. But I guess we're trying to apply that into an FDL context. Last year, we had a listener question into the correspondence section, and it was basically on the premise that FPL points really are the ultimate stat and should really be driving our approach. And I know if you were to create, just add um, a final column to your model of expected FPL points, you could just you know extrapolate off the expected data and the time series that we spoke about. But at the same time, if you wanted to just oversimplify things to its simplest point, are FPL points the ultimate stat in this? I get it. There's similar studies in the football analytics world, which are about, um, you know, at what point do goals tell you more than expected goals, like in a season about how a team is going to do, you know, so it's like, at what point does the actual outcome start to be more helpful than the the things that we know predict future outcomes? At what point does the team become Man City, not Brighton? Yeah, um, and 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 there and there kind of is a point where that happens. You know, um, FPL points are a complex function of a, a number of different things. Like, do you start? Do you score? Do you get bonus? Do are you on penalties? Do you get clean sheet? You know, like it's quite a complex function, and you can make a model that is um, just a you don't realize it, but it's kind of off on one of those things or a couple of those things, or it's a little bit slow. You know, you can get signal from FPL points. Bruno's FPL points since he came to Man United are like uniformly really big. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, like I don't know what his average points per game is over the season and a half he's been here, but it's loads. And they've gotten a stupid amount of penalties in that time, um, which is... You know, that's another thing. Like, it's nice to have a model where you, you're you're splitting out penalties and non-penalties, but this something seems to be shrug happening there, where Man United get a lot of penalties. Uh, that'll show up in the points, whereas it wouldn't show up in your model that was kind mm-hmm. of like defiantly saying, "No, they're going to be awarded penalties at an average rate for a team of that quality." Yeah, I don't do that. I've played FPL roughly as with as much success as I've had in recent years with a much more naive approach. I've always been like a nerd with a spreadsheet and stuff like that, but the stuff I was doing wasn't as sound as what it is now. And I've done as well or sometimes better than what I've been doing in recent years, you know, like maybe using things like FBL points as, as, a, as a starter for Signal. So yeah, I don't know. I think you can do better with the model, but you can't just laugh it off either. I, I, I wouldn't be able to like dismiss that suggestion. 
obviously we don't want to do form to death but i just want to know what your suggested improvement would be because like you know i'm i've got a heightened awareness of what form is and isn't and i you know i when i see someone say he's in form he's worth buying um you know especially last season i think i really started to kind of become a bit woke when it came to its user that horrible colloquialism but i'm not just new coin a new word here but what would you like that to include because form perhaps to some people they'd argue you know what form is basically what xg is the big chances at least so form basically includes all of the different kind of things that you'd like it to include to say that this player is worth investing in from an fpl manager's perspective or at least more learned people would some people just throw the term around to try to basically get around the fact they're being lazy but that could be something that someone would suggest but what would your improvement to the term be what would you like it to include if it were a case of just saying right integrate some data into it i think what i think would be kind of helpful to the discourse is separating out what people can mean by form because they think it can mean a couple of different things um and there can often be kind of wires crossed when people are referring to kind of two different meanings i think there's one which refers to essentially their like overperformance like they're finishing their chances shooting well and so on and i think the, there's another one which is like the player is playing well and is doing things which are repeatable at a higher rate than they have been typically and i think splitting out those two concepts would would be kind of the improvement to form that i would make in terms of how people talk about it i think mm. yeah i mean i think that's one of the things that explains the popularity of form is that it does have this like fuzzy kind of indefinable nature and you can always say oh yeah well he was really on form but he he wasn't really on form you know it depended on how it worked out i agree with what simon said there i, I like the idea of like uh, the term momentum effect if you're if you think that there's something that's happening with a player that is um like a short-term change which is possibly going to persist for at least a little while then you might want to like talk about momentum effects like are there and and try to study that like are there momentum effects in football to do with confidence to do with like one thing about form is it doesn't have to be real it only has to be something that people believe is real and that extends i think to like actual football players and managers who are going to like pick the team and possibly design plays and be like okay give the ball to him he's on form and also fpl managers who their decisions affect your outcomes as well because of effective ownership and stuff like that so yeah i think momentum effect is like a term that i like when you're talking about like the technical side of is there something happening yeah, that yeah. could be repeatable something you could see is like if people have changed position or are suddenly getting more minutes where they weren't before and like this is something that people have observed there's good reasons for it and stuff like that i think that's something you could legitimately flag as being like a precursor to form and this Mm -hmm. is something that analytics people would like to know about as well you know we're not going to turn our nose up at that at all if people are in there's like a new formation someone's playing a different place or someone's gotten injured and it's left a space in the team for this other guy to play in. Mm-hmm. Like that's really interesting. And that could just be like a short term thing. And that could be when people see form happening. That's something that definitely astute managers should be looking for. And that it definitely includes analytics FC. That's definitely kind of something that ties in with that broader debate about form in a way maybe we haven't touched on. That's actually a great point to kind of even pose to you guys, but we've you've dealt with it so well that we don't even need to. See, so we'll we'll bring ourselves towards a break after 
having having a good kind of cursory look over the objectivity of stats and all the data that we use and touching on that form debate, we're going to move on to one of those other classic debates after the break, which is the eye test versus stats, which I'm sure will be uh, just as interesting. We'll touch on some of the themes we've already seen. So let's go to that break. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? So we're back and it's time to kind of progress the debate. So we did a lot of foundational stuff, you know, unpacked a few of the areas which, you know, stats and FPL would probably raise in your mind as being kind of key talking points. One of the key debates, though, which is a bit prosaic, but one worth going into with guests as learned as these, is the eye test versus stats debate. And let's just say it up front, if you listen to this, you probably will agree with this. It's an artificial distinction. It's very rare you'll get an an extremist example of somebody who's hardcore using one or the other. And there's lots of you know, arguments on social media, which are frankly a bit boring. Some level of weight or balance exists between the two. For me, it's in- integrative and fluid. You know, at times I can be alerted to someone doing data analysis for the weekly pods and then actively set out to watch them the next week and try to make sure the two things marry up. Or maybe a player would catch my eye and then I look into the data as a result. There's a lot of kind of willful misinterpretation of data out there, you know, using XG in one game as a basis for deriving the whole idea, but then saying, you know, big chances are better measure, you know, that kind of thing. But I guess the idea is that I want a lot of sources for my choices and in the content creator way, evidence for my assertions. Guys, what do you make of these arguments? I mean, are they all kind of facile ones or is there any sort of, you know, realistic tension underlying them? For me, I find this one hard because, it, it, I don't know, it's maybe one of those things about Twitter. Like My experience of FBL largely is through the lens of Twitter, and um, it does seem to be really polarizing. And um, because I'm into football analytics, there's already this kind of like um, football analytics guys are nerds against the proper football men who watch and understand football. Um, so that's like a really established kind of like trench war that's going on. And um, we have and enough you, of experts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so I'm like, I'm really used to being on on one side of that. Um, but first of all, FPL is a really nerdy game. I, 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 there's, I sent out a tweet on this and there's been a few other good tweets, like just sort of summarizing it. But it's like this game where you... Like it responds really well to, to looking at stats, but um, it's like a long-term strategy and planning game. And it basically takes place in the world of football. It's like adjacent to real football events, but it's a really nerdy game. And some people probably get into it because they're like, I love football and I watch all the time and I'm going to show everyone how much I know about it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but a lot of people, I think, are drawn to FBL for the game itself and I definitely was the fact that it responds well to like using stats and analyzing it in a technical way was one of the reasons why I started playing it and it actually got me into football more I kind of like drifted slightly away from even being that interested in football um, when I started getting back into like FPL through a work league and stuff um, so I wouldn't want to advocate um, only using stats uh, because that I think that would be stupid and uh, also you know maybe that's just not fun for people but that's kind of what I do because I don't really have a lifestyle that supports watching a lot of football so whenever I'm talking I'm always talking from this point of view of um, somebody who 
really only uses stats. And the only thing I could say is like, I would like to watch more if I could, but it doesn't really compatible with my life. I'd probably be better at FPL if I could, but don't know. And it's totally possible to be like good or goodish at FPL without watching any football. Yeah. If, mm-hmm. if you're if you're good at using stats. Yep. Simon um, March won the whole thing uh, when he was out in Singapore and didn't watch many games at all um, when he was there. So I remember absolutely. hearing that. My good year. I didn't watch any games and, um, you know, it was in the top few hundred. You know, it's totally possible to do. But I would like to watch more, mainly for the fun. But I think it would probably make me better at FPL too. I think the game of FPL, the the game angle of it is huge for me. Like I'm an investor at Gamer. That's like one of my main pastimes in life. And Football Manager in particular is a thin red line which runs through my life. And that's kind of why I was so attracted to the fantasy football side of things, just because obviously you were expressing the everything you saw in the data to set up your team and hope that the outcomes in your team, which um, are obviously going to be best beneficial to you. Um, Simon, what do you make of all the um, eye test versus uh, stats stuff, which we see permeate FPL Twitter at times? Yeah, I think I think the point that Jamie raises around not having enough time to watch football in his lifestyle is um, why I think um, stats are a really good um, complement to the eye test. So to watch ten games a week, it's twenty hours. It's a fair fair chunk of time. Uh, and if you're watching the highlights, let's say just from an FPL perspective. Um, you're getting the director's cut, yeah. So you've already got like one person's kind of filter um, on what you should be watching. So I think that kind of reduces the usefulness slightly. Um, I definitely think there's there's things which XG won't pick up. There can be things like a player's positioning, where they playing and making lots of intelligent runs, but never got picked out. Or were there crosses that were coming across the face of the goal, but didn't quite connect and therefore like doesn't get an XG value because it's not a shot. So there's definitely things that the data will not see, which will be helpful in predicting future outcomes. And I think what I've found, I got into football analytics long before I got into FPL. I found that the more I understood around football analytics, I watched the game differently. Yeah. And I noticed different things. Um, Sure. I, yeah, I, I I notice now the like movement and getting a shot away much more than I notice whether a shot goes in compared to before, um, uh, because I know that that's something repeatable uh, from the data. So mm-hmm. I think that they really complement each other. Well, I think I think the the arguments are quite boring. Um, like you say, of like this camp versus this camp. Like if yeah. you use them together, they'll make you better at FPL than using one or the other. Yeah, absolutely. I've, it, we we spoke on the behavioural science pod about like group polarisation um, being a huge kind of part of how communities work, and there will often be sort of a, a fostering of this of this sort of uh, effects where the centre actually doesn't really hold, and you've got people kind of moving outwards, um, and it will create a, an artificial. Um, extreme sort of situation and definitely something that we see a lot isn't it in FPL Twitter what are your views on this whole thing that sounds really easy to believe to me it's quite easy to like find yourself in these situations where you're seen as like the the kind of like nerdy guy behind the keyboard who's 
vociferously defending the statistical concept and insisting that like form doesn't exist or trying to say um, suddenly it becomes like a battle of ideals and um, it doesn't have to be. One thing that I have always tried to be is like modest about my ability to watch football properly or in a way that would help me um, because I'm not really that um, used to watching a lot of games. So I kind of think like when I watch games, I just make fun of myself because I think like the guy that scored looks good and stuff like that, <laughs> you know, like, um, oh yeah, he looked, <laughs> you know, that was, he, he looked really on form, you know, after that goal. And um, the James Madison <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that um, it, it's not just either about the more you do of one thing, the better it will be. I, it's possible to use stats and make worse decisions if you don't use them um, properly or responsibly, or you, like maybe you don't have like a feel for it. Yeah. And I think it's possible to watch games and, and be misled by what you're seeing quite easily. And Simon touched on it, but I think it's a really a big finding, another really big finding from football analytics about w- what is so good about um, XG in general is that if you see someone missing a big chance, the, the piece of information that should be shouting loud in your ear that you should save is, this player got a big chance. Yeah. Not this player missed and and can't shoot. This mm-hmm. guy's this guy's useless, can't hit a barn door. But yet at the same time, if they keep missing, like we'll just choose an Alvaro Morato type character when he was in the Premier League or indeed during the Euros for quite a period, you would say that, you know, the fact that he was missing big chances consistently starts to become a trend that you need to be concerned about too, that, you know, that, that is the eye test complementing the stats. And I think maybe a player that we've seen that happen with in more recent times in the Premier League is Kevin De Bruyne. And he's almost a case study for this battle between the eye test and stats that he, especially in the 2020-2021 season, was being played in a way that he was able to get forward quite a lot. There were times where City were playing effectively strikerless and he would find himself one-on-one quite frequently and not finish it off. And so his underlying stats were quite good. They weren't like off the charts. They weren't as good as a Salah type character, but they were good. And he was consistently underperforming them. So if you've watched him play, you wouldn't think he was an elite finisher, but because he was still keeping up with his XG, the myth was never busted. And so he was a real exercise in contrast between eye test and stats, because the reason he was overperforming his XG is because he's so good at low XG shots, like low probability shots would go in, but high XG shots too frequently weren't going in. To labor the point, he is that idea that you you have to have that complement between that eye test and stats. I'd be interested to hear what you guys thought of De Bruyne himself and whether you actually think he is an elite finisher. I'm going to start by defending Alvaro Morata because this is he's an he's an analytics darling. Um, Thank you, Simon. He was one he was one that was on the list. Um, he's got Kevin De Bruyne to be mentioned today, just because he's one of those that definitely, mm-hmm. if you look at the data, you are incredibly excited and if you watch him play actually he does harking back to what we said about the emotional side of things that definitely weighs upon him i think in terms of how he is and if you read externally about him you know read the qualitative information about the kind of player he is the kind of person he is that definitely seems to be an element of his play um but rationally i think the case that you you're going to probably build is slightly different isn't it 
I, I just like let's let's forget the fancy stats and all the nerd nonsense. On a pure goals basis, he scored 96 goals in top leagues and 163 starts, um, about 166 90s. He's good. Uh, he, he scores lots of goals, and so re- regardless of whether it's like driven by uh, getting lots of chances and finishing them kind of averagely, or getting an okay number of chances and finishing them elite, he, he scores. He scores goals. I just want to. Uh, I, I I can't leave. Uh, Alfa Morata slander undefended. But should he be um, scoring more goals based on what you see with your eyes? Maybe he should have more based on the chances that he's getting. But I think it's like Jamie said that the fact that he's getting the chances is is what should be screaming louder. And it shows up in the fact that he scores lots of goals. Um, and that's what you're trying to predict. So, he, But he um, also, sorry to just like, throw in on Morata while we're on it, because I feel like people will be screaming in their heads thinking of, you know, Morata, you, you know, the slapstick moment is offside. You know, how many goals does he lose from, you know, XG that never appears in his XG because it was offside to begin with. And it's like, you know, it's like he might be elite, but how many chances are lost because of needlessly straying um, a foot, either the um, part of his body or the measurement offside? Yeah, I, I think that's true. I think there's, it's easy to um, like focus on one side of the coin because then it's how many chances does he create by playing on the shoulder the whole time? Um, so like the optimal amount of times to be offside isn't zero. Um, you should be offside sometimes, otherwise you're not taking enough risks and not playing like on the edge enough that's going to get you the big chances in, in the first place. So I think he, he comes in for a lot of stick, uh, but I think he's, he's just a really good player. Yeah, there's, there's a tension as well um, between watching football as a fan and being aware that um, good chances rarely occur and like having a, a very high amount of frustration at when those chances don't get scored with how you should feel, you, you know, ideally with FPL, well, uh, maybe this isn't ideal for people, but I would say it's ideal to feel dispassionately about um, prospects when you're watching them for FPL. And you, you can say like the fact that he's getting a chance in that situation should be the thing that's kind of ringing loudest in your ears. Mm. Um so and, it, like, yeah. In terms of linking that to De Bruyne, then, um, like as Anthony mentioned, he he was getting those chances in great situations, and he simply wasn't converting those chances. And to the eye test, at least, which is obviously incredibly subjective, but to the eye and the confident being in that situation, I mean, is it a case of sunk costs? Like, if data says one thing, and that's something obviously you're looking to promulgate, but the eye says another. He was a huge analytics hero, Kevin De Bruyne, in the 2019-2020 season. But last season was such a disappointing season relative to the previous one. And a few managers like uh, Mikel, uh, top fan, who you both know, uh, said that KDB had his yaya season 2019-2020. And Mikel actually uses a lot more kind of orthodox statistical analyses. Like, do you think that maybe there are a few things that you guys differ on? when it comes to analysis of the player and um, just because it was fascinating to kind of observe the different evaluations you guys both came out with looking at the same player and using the same stats that are there yeah I think um, I think that's fair like um, Mikel has like a, a really influential algorithm which um, seems to like really resonate with a lot of people and um, he I think has got really good evidence and and motivation behind all the decisions that he's made and like the way that he scores things if you like um in his model but he does seem to 
place a greater emphasis on like actual events like a, a goal there than mm. than than Simon and I might uh, and and hence relatively less on like an expected goal than Simon and I might I, I'm not here to say if that's right or wrong but yeah I would say that that yeah the model... it talks about that discussion doesn't it about how uh, as I'm saying earlier you can build models depending on individual weighting of the different factors and how important they are to you and that kind of keys yeah. into that researcher bias doesn't it yeah that's right um but yeah like De Bruyne is a really interesting one um you know I was kind of laboring under the belief that his finishing woes last year were like temporary and um, were just like anomalies that would be rectified it, in some ways we were kind of denied the opportunity of finding out but you know, it's another thing to do with how much detail you want to go into. But if you look at the um, his career finishing um, relative to XG by shot zone, like on understat, they offer this thing, shot zone, where you can see if it was um, in the box, out the box, or in the six-yard box. All of his overperformance historically, because he is known in analytics circles as being a good finisher, all of his overperformance comes from out of the box. Yeah. So, like, if that's something that you knew, or, or like, let's say you believe that to be true, um, you might, you might temper your enthusiasm about De Bruyne getting into the box a lot more, because okay, his XG is going up, but you might expect there to be um, some drop off in the overperformance of XG in his in his goals. You know, so there's a way to do that analytically. There's a way to kind of to stay in a totally objective world and still come to that conclusion. But I, I don't think I was alert enough to, um, to do that. And, and you're, you're risking the kind of trepidation of, is the sample size too small to make a, a call like that? Mm. So elite finisher in terms of shots from outside the box. But if you're in a different situation psychologically, when you're one-on-one with the goalkeeper, Perhaps there's a little bit of a, a distinguishing factor there and um, yeah. born in mind. It seems like he hits it really hard and um and maybe that doesn't equal composure, you know, uh, in in like one-on-one situations. That would be the narrative to support the numbers, but whether Certainly. that's just constructing a narrative, you know, um, yeah, yeah, of course. In, yeah, in yeah. retrospect, I'm not sure. But it seems like he's really good at whacking it. And uh, <laughs> I love that. For, for a technical point, there's a technical term. Is he's just great at whacking it? Like he thumps it, and I think that's good for scoring from outside the box. Um, but Fair maybe enough. it helps less when you're like in a in a position that needs a little bit of uh, finesse. Fair enough. It's like the paradox of Lionel Messi, isn't it? He's amazing at finishing everywhere apart from from the empty spot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's that's amusing, definitely. Interesting, interesting stuff. Um, And I think that kind of nicely brings us on perhaps that kind of curse of knowledge idea. So we spoke about this on the fandom pod with Lucy and Adam. And um, I define this um, for people who haven't listened to that as knowing more about a subject than Joe Public, but watching everybody else talk about it. And I think that's definitely something which does uh, impact uh, analytics FC to some extent. You've got your superior understanding of data. And are there any notable success stories from your deeper understanding of kind of historic world data? I mean, Simon, is there anybody that you've kind of picked up early um, through understanding the data that other people have kind of gotten bored with later on? I think uh, probably my favourite 
moment of all time was I held Gerard Delefeu for something like seven blanks a couple of years ago. Uh, he was getting the minutes, the numbers were still there, and I think he scored three and got an assist. Yeah, I remember because um, I sold him the week before. Uh, and nobody owned him. Uh, I, was at, I was actually out for dinner that night and I got back. Uh, I was with my parents and my dad just went, so who have you got in your fantasy team? And then I just looked at the score I was like, um, probably my favourite FPL moment for, for a long time because um, it was just one where blind faith and the numbers eventually it, it came good. From an FPL perspective, it was still a disaster over 10 years. Um, <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> not really. Um, <laughs> Sorry to like, put the question so bluntly. Go for no, the Pax, like, Paxman on you. But <laughs> I think it was like seven, seven blanks plus plus a 23 works out like five points a game for like a five, five and a half million midfielder. So it's pretty good. Yeah, overall. I suppose. Okay, I put it that past. Yeah, and he wasn't necessarily on the pitch for every single one of those weeks and et cetera, et cetera. Fair enough. But maybe in that kind of broader idea though, do you find that having that knowledge is often a burden that being aware that stats are good for a player means you end up holding on and not getting the Jared Delefeu type payoff in the end? Yeah, sometimes. I think I had that with Chris Wood last year. I think I, I owned him from game week three all the way through to something like 22. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was just running cold the whole time. Uh, I mean, part of the reason I held him is because I, I had other fires and so on. I wasn't yeah, yeah, of course. just just being stubborn. And then obviously he came really good at the end of the season um, when I didn't own him. So, I mean, I I kind of, I can make peace with, owning a player and the stats being good and them, and them not returning because as long as the kind of process is good, um, like I feel love with that. No, that's really interesting, Simon. I think that like generally there's obviously a bit of a trade-off in terms of the stats and the eye test is what we've spoken about. And there's always going to be an element of that kind of cursed knowledge playing a role, perhaps a bit less here. But what's the golden mean? I guess, in terms of knowledge of stats for FPL purposes. Like, I'm personally never going to be able to claim the depth of data science wizardry you both espouse. But I like to think I'm no slouch when it comes to kind of looking at data and trying to interpret what that means. Um, obviously, from my professional background, I hope that that's probably true because that's basically what I based my career on. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think perhaps being able to understand that data helps guide predictions, but isn't a guarantee of future outcomes perhaps is the golden meme for me and not, you know, getting into the kind of the facile discussions about expected data didn't translate into real data. Hmm. Uh, Jamie, what's your view here? I mean, what's the golden mean? Do you think like what's the, the minimum threshold that people need to know in order to use stats effectively? Hmm. I mean, I think like familiarizing yourself with, um some results like something i did um a while ago was a really simple what you call a repeatability study and uh, i looked at um rates of certain stats and how useful they were if you looked at that stat in the first half of the season uh, how good it was at predicting goals in the second half of the season and i looked at um xg big chances, I think like shots, just like a general shot level, um, touches in the box, things like that. Like how good were those if you looked at the rates of um, those in the first half versus how many goals the player ended up scoring in the second half. And um, 
the XG came out as like being the most predictive. It was the best like that. And mm-hmm. and it makes sense. Um, we're not going to get into the nuts and bolts of what XG is, but to have this kind of like really nice, like Tom alluded to earlier, I think, um, it's just a really nicely bundled up um, version, which is in the currency you want it to be in. It's in the currency of goals, and it's a weighted sum of how good the shots were. So like that's a result that you you could kind of like you can take that to the bank that xg is kind of like a really handy way of summarizing someone's goal threat and that that's going to be a really reliable indicator of a player's um level going forwards and it's really well established there's lots and lots of um like good papers about it and good studies about it in the football analytics world so i think as a minimum you should kind of be receptive to like the idea that using xg would be um really useful Mm -hmm. um but for, oh. maybe from the aspect of knowledge of stats, from the perspective of knowledge of a you know many players' stats and using them to make a decision at any one time, you know to what extent is actually knowing how players are doing on underlying data. Mm. Yeah, I mean, all all my decisions start off from a point of um, trying to get um, my expectations in the currency of of expected points. So how many points do I expect a player to score based on like mm-hmm. their XG? And you could say you could you could do it s- simply and say how many points from goals do I expect yeah. a player to get just by applying um, points for goals to the XG values, and then a knowledge of that player's price. And if you could like plot them in two D space and draw a line through them, you might see which one's above the line and which is below, and by how much. And yep. if someone is going to return like a lot of points from goals for relative to their price, then that might be like a really kind of simple, um, like fag packet statsy way of making um, quite a sober and sensible decision, as as I would see it. Mm-hmm. And and yourself, Simon, do you where do you see there being, or do you see there being that sort of golden mean for knowledge of players' stats? Um, as an aid to your FPL decision-making? Yeah, I think um, if used responsibly, um, the data is super helpful. I think the, the the key thing for me when using the data is knowing what's contained within the data and what information is outside of the data. So you often see people mm-hmm. um, looking mm-hmm. at something where they look at like XG and they look at shots in the box and they look at big chances and, and they're kind of like trying to combine them all together. But all the information about uh, the number of shots and the big chances is already contained within the XG already. Yep. Um, so kind of like knowing what it captures and it won't capture your finishing scale, for example, um, which kind of sits outside of XG. So, so knowing what sits where, I think is um, one of the key things. And then like Jamie said, knowing what's predictive and, and what's not. Um, I think, yeah, you can, like Jamie said, you can build a really basic model um, with just XG, XA and some kind of view of team strength, which again, I would base primarily on XG. Um, It won't be perfect. And again, you have to know what's sitting outside of your model. Mm. So it won't be capturing yellow cards. It won't be capturing clean sheets, for example, in this instance. It won't be capturing uh, bonus. It won't be capturing penalties, et cetera. Um, So you're going to have to like, add those things on mentally if you're not going to model them okay i mean tangentially to that then 
I think we've kind of glossed Nestle and that particular one. There's one other thing that I see, and obviously I, I love FPL review. Um, dear old John, I love what he does, and um, I think that he's um, you know, a real asset to the FPL community. Like, so, so incredible he spends his time doing what he does uh, for all of us. But there's one question I would like to ask, which is why should anyone care about their XG rank or implied odds rank? Because I don't know if any either of you are gamers, but to me, that kind of feels like if I was playing story mode, how well would I be doing? If everything went my way, how well would things be going for me? Um, and that's something that I see every now and again. It's obviously good for John and obviously good for FPL Review. Definitely follow and use FPL Review. I'm, I'm not disparaging uh, him and the work he does on this site at all. But why should anybody care about that? Because to me, almost, it, it definitely feels like if I was playing FPL on easy mode, this is how well I'd be doing. I, I, I can't quite get my head around that. I think um, I would make an analogy to, uh, I'm a Leeds fan for the, the few people that uh, don't follow me on Twitter and, and don't yeah, realise. We, we, we haven't needed you on that, actually. We probably should have uh, needed <laughs> really? you on the fact that you said that the, uh, didn't you say that Leeds were a top six defence at the start of the uh, last season. Um, well, that went well. I, um, <laughs> I don't think that was the exact words, but that was in the modern in the picture I've got here that I was going to need, need you with earlier and I forgot. Um, but anyway, um, uh, let's not get distracted by um, your poor forecast. Um, but yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> the XG rank implied odds. What should be? In the same way that what I really care about as a fan is, is Leeds winning games. Uh, but I do want to know uh, how good they are really as well. Um, so I, I'm really interested in Leeds as a team's XG values because uh, I know that that's going to be a, a better predictor of future performance than the results that have happened. Um, so if Leeds are losing games, but the XG is good, which happened a lot in the championship and caused a lot of our fan base a lot of stress, um, then it, I'm kind of like more at peace with it because I'm like, no, the process is good um, and therefore things are likely to, to kind of be at a high level. I think from an FPL perspective, if, if you're trying to evaluate your decisions, um, your overall rank is an okay indicator of it. Um, like over multiple seasons, it would be a very, very good indicator. Over one season, you can you obviously have a lot of variance. So if I want to evaluate like how well I've played in the season um, on, the, on the strength of my decisions, then it's useful to have an objective metric that, that kind of um, measures that. I don't think it's a case of, of playing FPL on easy mode. So um, I think the first two seasons I used the tool, uh, it was showing me that my rank was overinflated. Like I got lucky and my decisions weren't as good as my rank suggested. Mm. And then last year, despite my rank going from 15K down to I think 42, my decisions were a lot better. I, I played the game better um, despite my worst rank. Um, and knowing that, is helpful if you're actually trying to improve at the game. I mean, you just said one of the key trigger words there and variance. I mentioned them earlier on. Um, what do you guys make of that as, as a term? Like For me, as I said at the very beginning, it's just a fancy word to get away from the innuendous sort of terms such as luck and random chance. Like we don't want to, a lot of FPL managers at least, don't want to admit that there's a, kind of luck impinging on their skill level and all this sort of thing. Um, but I think 
we probably would all agree here on this podcast, shock horror, um, that if you're dealing with one game week isolation, there's going to be a lot of variance slash luck slash random chance which impact on outcomes. It's definitely where we just caught fire um, over the last few years in, in FPL circles. Like, how do you guys view it? Is it something to be accounted for? I think for me, it definitely is that. And any kind of um, difference to that view? I think I've had an increase in awareness of of how big um, a factor it is. Or maybe what I've been wrestling with a lot this summer is whether I now believe that it's more of a factor than it actually is. Um, like, I think you're right. You know, we, it's a totally analogous to the XG and goals conversation. Like in a given game, in a given week, you can see that someone has really good chances and they don't materialize. But we know that this actual measure of um, the chances that they had better predicts how they're going to do in the future than, than the goals that they, they might score. Um, there is an uh, analogous result in the um, manager performance with regards to the XG points and implied odd points, the FBL review has been able to demonstrate that people that score highly in those things do better next year than people who score highly in like actual FBL points in one season. You know what I mean? So like it, it can be a good, um, it, it can be a very good indicator of your process. Um, but, you know, he wrote an article about um, how, sensible it is to have the goal of being in the top 10k and um, the results are really quite quite staggering nowadays with regards to how big a role that variance plays in that and the kind of conversations I was having with myself were um, is it really worth me playing FPL <laughs> um, anymore or is it worth me giving as much time to FPL as I have in the past? Yeah. Um, yeah. Given how much of a role this plays. Um, and then I started to think, like convincing myself that actually there is a way to play and really control for that variance, but it's a really cynical way to play. It's the, it's the, it's the template management way of immunizing yourself like if you imagine um a stock trader or a hedge fund owner it's like this way of immunizing yourself against big risks at every turn and you can't you can't lose a lot of ground at any given point and you kind of you you stay there long enough to like outlast everybody and kind of get a a safe good finish it's not the way you're going to win um but it's a way to like maybe maintain like a consistently high finish and like you may have got this idea but Simon and I with uh, our, our numbers focus have tended in the past to be people that have spurned um, safe plays and, and ownership plays and community plays I think we've both come around to that quite a lot and the things that effective ownership can tell you about players and about how you should expect your rank to go um, but yeah, so I also had the conversation like, would I still want to play FPL if I thought that you had to be a really kind of stodgy, safe template hedge fund manager? Um, <laughs> oh, cool. it's a great way to guarantee returns, uh, Jamie. Um, is it all random, Simon? Do, do we basically have no control over everything? I mean, the, the illusion of control came up a lot on the uh, the podcast did for behavioral science and everybody loved to have that impression at the very least that they had some control over everything that was going on is it all random you don't believe in form we don't even you know a thing called love you only believe in a long-term sort of dictation of how things are going 
Yeah, it's not entirely certain how those things sort of manifest themselves in a short span of you know, the forecasting where you've got three or four game weeks to try to do it. Is it all random? I mean, to some extent, yeah. Uh, I, w- I wouldn't say all random. I think I-, I would I would use the same analogy I used earlier, which is the one I stole from Sigurd, which is which is around like you're essentially rolling uh, eleven dice each week, um, but those dice have different numbers on, um, and whether that dice rolls a blank or or rolls a goal, yeah, it's to some extent random. But there's but there's a probability of each of those those things happening. Um, and what we're trying to do as FPL players is we're trying to uh, basically maximise the probabilities um, that our players are going to get returns, um, mm. and therefore, we'll, in expectation, um, be the best player, and then hope that the the kind of dice fall your way. One question I'd be interested in actually is just so this is almost like where are you guys in the arms race of stats? And it's like, do you guys feel like you are improving your models and your methods of the application of stats enough to outstrip the fact that there's more content being produced? So like, where are you guys with the window in terms of, are you still gaining ground on the pop the you know the masses and on the standard analytics people or people like us who can you know apply stats but we don't necessarily run with models or do you feel like that gap is closing and you're being caught up with and the, the gains are getting more and more marginal yeah i think the edge is definitely getting diluted um there's there's a lot of democratization of skill in fpl there's a lot of like good content and uh, the the room to be different in FPL is is quite small, mm-hmm. uh, which is why I think the the variance thing tends to get amplified uh, louder than I'd like it to be in a game that responded well to to skill more purely to skill, yep. because there's not that much room to be different. There's actually quite a small subset of players that are like sensible that are engaged people are are considering. Um, so the room to be different is is quite small, and as the people's awareness of it and the, the kind of content um, standard that people are consuming is getting that, that little bit more and that little bit better. I think that um, it eats a lot of the gap that um, people like us might have enjoyed a few years ago. Um, there's still, there's still some edges, but I think they're, I think they're sort of vanishingly small, maybe in, in places. Uh, there's, there, there's definitely some things that, um, habits that we've picked up that are really good habits to be uh, to get into and and like our attention to minutes probably is something that is maybe a good edge it might might be the bigger edge that's left um but yeah what do you think simon yeah definitely some of the low-hanging fruit's gone i mean the halcyon days of when i my first season when i first started playing um xg just wasn't really part of the conversation in the wider wider context um, there wasn't even a, a publicly available XG data source at the start of the season. Um, now we have tons. Um, I think I think there's still quite a lot of edges to be had. Um, and I think that in the last probably 18, 24 months, I think a lot of quite a lot of the analytically engaged players have uh, like kind of pushed the boundaries of understanding the game strategically um, quite quite significantly further than where the kind of collective understanding was a couple of years ago. Uh, I think it, it, taking into account ownership, um, yeah. focus on minutes and how to adjust for it. it it's, it's not just a case of building a better model, although I am rebuilding my model and realized that a lot of it was complete trash. Um, 
so <laughs> it's only when you redo it that you you realize all your mistakes so hopefully that'll be a nice like jump forward as well yeah, so um, hopefully next year you're, you're you win the whole thing aren't you uh. well yeah it, who knows if if the dice fall right um, it's, it's, but yeah experience if you don't yeah always yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh. But yeah, I, th- I, th- I think there's there's still some more frontiers. I think there's frontiers we haven't even thought about as well. Um, mm. So I think that the, the the really engaged and kind of like uh, smart managers, I'm not really counting myself. It's like often other people doing the research and me just piggybacking off it. Like, I think there's a lot more of the understanding of the, of the game to kind of still figure out. Absolutely. I mean, the, the fun question, I think, uh, I think we've um, had a really good discussion about all of these things. And I think it's it's been really interesting to kind of hear um, a 360 view, I think, all the different sort of things which influence how analytics, data, how you want to put it, stats, impact FPL, to put a button on it. To what extent do you guys think an analyst view is useful? I think that's definitely something which um, people are going to want to know. Um, there's obviously the sort of idea that it's another weapon in the armory. You know, we've got we spoken about the integrative idea of having stats and uh, the eye test and those things kind of linking together to create that sort of understanding of how good the player actually is. Tom Wolfert, the Athletic, is a good example um, of accessible writing, uh, for instance. Uh, but nonetheless, what do you guys reckon the value is of having that analyst view? especially for FPL managers? Obviously, I'm slightly biased on this question, aren't I? But I, I would say if, if you're going to do only one thing, it's understand the data and what it's telling you. Uh, I think you see in kind of not FPL, but real football, how much of an edge analytics is brought to recruitment. You saw clubs making huge mistakes where they have paid professionals who their job is to watch football and evaluate players. And you can make very expensive mistakes when you're just a professional watching with the eye test. I think your eye test is only as good as your set of eyes and your knowing about football analytics will train your eye test anyway. So I think if the, if you're only going to do one thing, um, I think the data is it. I feel that quite strongly. And, and I think it's not to say that it's perfect, like we've discussed in a lot of detail on this pod. There's lots of ways that you can complement it. Um, at, add more things that it's not going to capture um but i do think it's like a really good baseline i would agree like i think that it's it's really really valuable to have a a framework that you can apply to every single player in the game and get a a like a ranked measure of where they where they stand and how you see them and how you would expect them to perform going forwards Um, and all to be treated identically and on the same basis. It doesn't matter if you've seen the game or read which comments or what mood you were in when you saw it or how tired you were or anything like that. It's it's a, a purely objective basis. And if you can get something like that, that's all, like working in a, you know, it doesn't need to be a heavy duty thing. It can be quite a light touch, but as long as it's sensible and has um good foundations like uh behind it if you get something like that i think that's a really big advantage it's a really nice um it's a really nice starting point to to going about a a sober objective kind of um approach to playing fpl i think it can help you never miss a player either it's a huge huge thing that is true and also if you've if you've got an updating mechanism so it's like it's when you get the new data you add it in and you've got some way of integrating that new data 
it means that you you don't have to rely on changing your opinion about that player. You don't have to rely like because that can be hard to do. Um, you know, it can be hard to sort of go and see someone and say, you know what, I was wrong about that guy. And even though I've missed the bandwagon, I'm still going to buy him because he's. He, I now know that he's really good. The the model's kind of doing that for you. It's kind of saying, I have a, an opinion about this player that you should hear about, and this is it. You know, and it's kind of doing that automatically every week. It's a really nice way to kind of like stay abreast of what's happening without having to try that hard. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I guess, to wrap us up at that point, it's like that's what this whole entire pod has really delved into, is it? And you, you've used that word quite a few times, Jamie, sober. And it is that way to get that sober, objective uh, view of players, of football, of, I guess, FPL prospects, cut through biases and create probabilities to yield you know, the best results possible given what occurs. And you know, it isn't necessarily a passport to success but at the same time it sets itself up as best as you can and that's that's been the theme when we've been discussing maybe with the eye test how you know at the end of the day what is it it's kind of a construct no more than form at the same time and it's been really really interesting to hear you guys kind of delve into those and whilst you say that the the gap is narrowing on you know the extent to which modeling and data is giving an advantage it still remains there i think and i think listening to you guys i think it's it's quite clearly there versus the mean and it's just maybe when we don't have covid and all the other kind of random things affecting a season like this one in a way that you know it was more random than a random season i suspect it will uh, start to pay dividends again yeah, definitely no as a really fascinating discussion um it all brings to the end i think of this particular podcast i think we've gone on the houses and spoken about lots of things which impact this sort of whole area of the interplay between FPL and data analytics, trying to kind of poke into the different sort of uh, biases that could perhaps be on show, but also heard lots of really, really interesting discussion, especially uh, where Jamie and Sam are concerned. So thank you very much for your time here, guys. Um, uh, Jamie is at We Rogue. Um, great to have you on, Jamie. Um, we'll have you on again in the future, I'm sure. That would be great. Thanks so much for inviting me on. Uh, uh, you know, it's, it is an honour and a privilege. I've really enjoyed talking to you guys. So thanks a lot. Far too kind. Sir. And obviously the drunk man in the smoking area, it's Simon at Analytic FPL, <laughs> who will no doubt be uh, at the uh, 24-7 uh, July thing. Uh, maybe this will go actually after that. So who knows? Um, but thank you for coming on, Simon. It's been really, really good. Yeah, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for having me on. Uh, if this goes out before the meetup and you want to shout at me and tell me why stats are rubbish, I'll see you there. And you'll be on Twitter anyway, as you say. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. a very fair point, yeah. <laughs> Reliably, we can get to your pocket. <laughs> You've got the stall, Simon, with the, uh, the little placard saying... Stats are great. Tell me I'm wrong. Change oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you'll also find the guys' podcast, The Corridor of Uncertainty. The Twitter account for that is at uncertainty underscore pod. There's uh, rumors that there might be a preseason pod in the oven. You'd never know. So <laughs> we, uh, we look forward to that with bated breath. 
Anyway, thanks so much for listening, everybody. We were Who Got the Assist. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. This was a summer special podcast, a bit abnormal and recorded during the summer prior to the 2021-2022 season. If you'd like to hear our pre-season content and if you would like to hear us throughout the season, please do hit that subscribe button and listen to us regularly throughout the year. Yeah, really good podcast, I think, here um, on the interplay between FPL and Dish Analytics, as I said. Um, this brings to the end our summer specials podcast. They've been really interesting just to hear about the different ways in which FPL touches on these really unique themes um, and how they drive uh, different FPL managers' decision-making. We hope we assisted you during these summer specials. We'll be back next week uh, with our formal uh, price analysis podcast. But in the meantime, hope to assist you and speak to you very, very soon. Goodbye. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Sports Social Podcast Network.